say together, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hid, on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Great. Miriam, would you like to come up? Well done. Would you, would you like to just introduce yourself very briefly, who you are? Okay, I'm Miriam. I'm married to Dave. We've got three children. We've been part of this church for quite a long time. Um, and I'll tell you more about our context in my little talk. Yeah, and Miriam's also one of our trustees. So. I hadn't forgotten that. <laughs> okay, I don't know about you, but when I switch on the TV or open a newspaper or go on social media or think about the stories that lie behind the news, it strikes me just how desperately our world needs light. If the light that Jesus is talking about is truth, integrity, honesty, compassion, love, the right direction, then as a society, we're in big trouble, aren't we? I mean, some of the things about about our culture really sadden me, really anger me. So we are absolutely preoccupied with equality. Yet for so many people in our country and in our city... Life is so unfair. Now, we legislate against every kind of bullying and harassment, which is great, but 10 minutes on Twitter will reveal the most disgusting abuse against people that's stirring up you know, a wave of, of mental health problems in our young people. We idolise choice, choice in everything. If you happen to be born in a particular postcode, the chances are that you're going to have very few choices in life. And if we all look at our local contexts, our communities and our neighbourhoods, we can all point out places where there's a lot of darkness and we desperately need Jesus' light. So many areas of our culture are dominated by lies and darkness and confusion. We're desperate for the light of Jesus. But this is nothing new, because Jesus was born into a nation that was oppressed, oppressed by the all-conquering Romans, where the ruler thought nothing of murdering little boys to prevent a rival. And where women were second-class citizens, where slavery was normal. And the spiritual leaders were um, hypocrites and they tried to exploit the poor. And yet, Jesus was born into that place. He lived an ordinary life in an ordinary town. And then he stepped into his ministry. He healed the sick. He shone light into the darkness. He cast out demons and he declared, The kingdom of God is at hand. The rule of God, the kingdom of the heavens, where there's provision, healing, joy, fairness, where there's restoration in relationships, right relationships. The kingdom of heavens is here, available to all of us to step into simply through faith in him. And having displayed his amazing power and issued the greatest invitation we've ever seen to mankind, he says to his followers, you are the light of the world. And in the message translation, it says this, 
You're here to be a light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. We are the light. We carry the truth, the power, the light that can push back the darkness and bring in the kingdom of God. To be exposed, to be a city on a hill, to provide direction, that's our destiny and our identity as Jesus' followers. And he commands and empowers us to be the light. Sounds great, doesn't it? Let's go and do it. But how? What does Jesus mean? How practically do we shine a light? What does it mean to be a city on a hill? What are these good deeds that we can do to bring glory to our Father in heaven? Well, my guess is that there are as many ways of shining a light as there are followers of Jesus. And I can only share with you the things that we've tried to do in our community um, to try and shine a light. So we live in a village called Utebridge which is about four miles that way. It's a proper Yorkshire village. And we moved there about eight years ago when our eldest son, Josh, was about a year old. And for the first couple of years, we didn't know anybody at all in the community, nobody. Um, And we just maintained our relationships over this side of the city. But when Josh started school, it kind of sunk in that this was our mission field. This was where God was, was sending us. This is where we were called. And so we set to work trying to ask God how it was that he wanted us to make disciples um, and how we could shine our light. And five years on, uh, we're at the point where we are known in the village and in the wider area. We have some positions of influence that we've been able to use um, to bring change. Uh, We have a growing number of discipling relationships and we're gathering a fledgling missional community. So I just want to share with you practically the small things we've done over the last five years to try and shine a light and be obedient um, to this call on our lives. So the first thing we've done is to look for the needs in our community and serve them. So I started by joining the PTA, which is the group of parents who raise money for the school uh, to support it. Volunteering for the PTA involves things like organising school discos, dancing at school discos, printing raffle tickets, photocopying, stuffing envelopes, photocopying, all the glamorous jobs, really. Um, There was a need for people to paint faces at the village gala. Now, I am shocking at face painting, but I did it anyway. Um, There's always a need for um, community and relationships. So I got permission from the school to put flyers in the book bags of all the children in Josh's year group. Um, And I invited all the mums in the year group on a night out at the local pub. And these have been fantastic. We do it regularly now. We get about 20 to 25 mums along each time, get a night at the pub. Other year groups have followed suit, and um, it's been brilliant for building relationship, but also for increasing, you know, my network, my contacts, for finding people of peace. Um, There was a need for a parent governor at the school soon after Josh started, so Dave stood for that uh, and was elected. Um, The local church wanted somebody to play the piano for them every so often at their services, so I volunteered for that. Um, One week, the school computers were hacked, and all their resources were stolen, staff had a terrible time, Um, So I baked a load of chocolate brownies and took them to school. Really small things, but we just try to look for where are the needs and then try to be generous with our time and serve them. The second thing we've done is to seek positions of influence. So I mentioned that I volunteered with the PTA. Well, soon after I started that, the position of chair became vacant. So I went for it with a friend. We became the joint chairs. 
And it's been a brilliant opportunity um, to serve at a higher level, to have greater insight into the needs of the school. We've been able to influence the culture, change it from something that's quite cliquey into something inclusive. And it's been a much greater platform for doing good things. So, for example, when the humanitarian crisis in Syria hit the news a few years ago, I was able to use the PTA to start a um, collection around the whole of the school community. And within a week, we sent off a big check to save the children. I didn't do very much, but having that position of influence meant that I could be quite effective. And being on the PTA led to me being invited to join the parish council. So I have been Councillor Kate for the last three years. And it all sounds very Vicar of Dibley, and to be honest, at times it is. But being a parish councillor has been a great platform, again, for influencing, for doing good work, for shining a light. So my role as a parish councillor, really, is to find out what people's problems are, both individual and in the community, and take a lead in, in trying to fix them, which is great. So an example of this was last year when a lady emailed me in great distress. Her, the roof of her council house was leaking. The contractors had told her time and again they'd come and fix it. She'd taken time off work, which she could hardly afford to do, and then they'd failed to turn up, and the whole thing had started again. Her elderly mother was suffering health problems as a result, and she was despairing. Now, obviously, I could not go around and fix her roof, but as a parish councillor, I'd been able to build a relationship with the ward councillor, the city councillor, and so I was able to phone him, and he did have authority over the contractors, and by the end of the day, her roof had been fixed. Again, all I did was make a couple of phone calls, but having a position of influence meant that I could be quite effective. School governance is a fantastic place to serve and have influence. David had been a parent governor for about a year. He was ready to quit because he thought there was not a lot of point. He wasn't having a lot of influence. And then one night he had a dream that the chair of governors suddenly stepped down. And by lunchtime the next day, he had an email from the chair of governors announcing that out of the blue, he'd had to resign. So Dave took that dream as a sign from God that he should go for the chair. Um, he was uncontested. He's been the chair of governors now for three years. It's just incredible, the influence and the good work he's been able to do, the change he's been able to bring, not just in our community, but now a wider platform across the city. And if you want to know more about that, ask him, because there's some fantastic stories. I mentioned that I served the local church. Well, those relationships led to me being asked to help lead and teach the Bible to a group of children in a new youth club that we're doing. So a fantastic opportunity. Um, and then they asked me to open their summer fair last year, which is a bit like a village fete. It all sounds very provincial, doesn't it? But um, I was able, in my little speech, to talk about the kingdom of God. Fantastic opportunity. It came from five years of, of building relationships. Seeking positions of influence is about being a city on a hill. It's about being seen from a long way off and providing, and providing direction. So we've tried to serve the needs that we can find, seek positions of influence, and finally, we've tried to speak the truth. So we all find ourselves in situations where lies are being spoken or where there's negativity or people are tempted to gossip or to be dishonest. You know, it could be in the school, workplace, whatever network you're part of, those situations happen. We have in us a light that can bring truth to those situations, light to everyone in the room. It's a really hard thing to do to stand up and challenge that darkness, isn't it? It's not very British. And also, we feel that we might um, be persecuted, people might hate us um, or laugh at us. But over the last year, I've tried intentionally in the committees and groups that I'm part of to call out uh, negativity and prejudice. And I won't tell you that everyone still likes me, because they don't. But my experience is that most people recognize the truth. 
it does light up the room and it gives most people courage to join in and to stand behind the truth and make the right decisions. And there's all sorts of other ways we can bring truth in relationships and things like that. So we've tried to serve needs, seek positions of influence and speak the truth. We've made loads of mistakes along the way. There have been loads of missed opportunities, loads of wrong motives, but we've just tried to be consistently generous with our time and to shine a light. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, that sounds lovely. Uterbridge has got less dog poo than before and safer parking, but where are the healings? Where are the miracles? Where are the hundreds of people turning to Jesus? Or you might be thinking, sounds nice, but how do these things bring glory to our Father in heaven? Well, I'm desperate for those healings and the miracles, for the hundreds of lives transformed. You know, we've seen a couple of healings. We're starting to see people's lives uh, transformed. But no amount of community action compares to the hope of revival in our communities. But we're in this for the long haul. And Jesus' first miracle was to turn water into wine at a wedding when the booze had run out. And nothing in the Gospel of John, where it's written about, does it say that Jesus then stood up and said... I've done this because I am the Son of God and I've done it to bring glory to my Father. He doesn't explicitly incite praise for his Father. But he uses his power because he loves somebody enough to show his power in a way that saves someone from social embarrassment. And that's how he started his ministry. In the same way, when we do good deeds, when we consistently shine a light, we might not be wearing a badge saying, my Father told me to do this, But for the people who are walking alongside us, for those whom God's calling us into relationship with, they will start to ask questions. They will see that we're not doing it out of selfish ambition. And practical acts will lead to spiritual opportunities. So I just want to encourage you to ask God, are there any needs that you can serve in your community? Are there any positions of influence that you can seek? However small they might seem or unstrategic, are there any positions of influence you could seek? And is there truth that you need to speak into a particular situation? And what are the things that prevent us from doing this? Do we really believe that there is the light of Jesus inside us that can transform the world around us? Do we need to spend less time watching TV and more time serving? Do we need to widen our network of friends and acquaintances outside the church? Do we get discouraged when we don't see fruit straight away? Are we willing to commit to a community for years? At the end of the day, Jesus says we are the light. It's more about who we are than what we do. But as we are transformed by Jesus's power, as we become more and more passionate about seeing the kingdom of God bringing light into our world, the light inside us will transform those around us. It will change our communities and our city, and it will change the world. Okay, we'll take 30 seconds now. We'll have more time at the end, but we'll take 30 seconds now. And what I invite you to do is just do business with the Holy Spirit. What in that do I want to take away? Okay, that was great, Miriam. Thank you. 
Greg, would you like to come up? Give him a hand. Great. Greg, introduce yourself. How long have you been part of our church? Um, so, yeah, uh, my name's Greg. Um, I've been at Philly for three, I'm looking at you, Pete, three years? Three, three years. Yeah. <laughs> and what are you doing? Um, so, I'm a student. Uh, I study business and marketing at Sheffield Hallam. So, yeah, I'm in my final year now. Fantastic. All yours. Okay. Morning, everybody. Okay, I, I just want to start off with, um, by sharing with you a little bit about my journey to faith. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, but I didn't become a Christian uh, until I came to university when I was about 20 years old. Uh, in my late teens, I indulged in a way a young person is encouraged to in this world, going out, getting drunk, and everything else that kind of goes along with that. Um, a phrase that is often used is, live while you're young. But what that really means is do what you like, consume whatever, and pursue what makes you feel good in the moment. And this is a rhetoric that is becoming more and more ingrained with our, within our society. This was a shallow and unfulfilling life that I soon became tired of. I yearned for something more, for something to give meaning to my existence. And it was during that time that I turned to God. I sense that this is actually a common feeling in people today. I sense a growing disillusionment with what the world has to offer people. In first century Palestine, there was a similar atmosphere. There was an appetite for change and for something more than what was being offered. This led to countless preachers, false prophets, political revolutionaries, and people claiming to be the Messiah rising up, trying to offer the people what they were after. As Christians, we should be really excited about this changing atmosphere within our society and the potential that has to bring people to Jesus. But just like in first century Palestine, there are others trying to offer something different. We've got the sporting events, Ironman triathlons. I just want to read a quote from uh, Ironman. Uh, it's, we are in the business of helping extraordinary people change their lives, and Ironman is a symbol of that. More than anything, what extraordinary things normal people can do with effort, perseverance, and sacrifice. Iron Man, proving that anything is possible. Uh, we've got the Gap Yard, um, where people go traveling around the world, indulging in new cultures, meeting people with different ideas, expanding your horizons in order to find yourself. The minimalist lifestyle, throwing away all your worldly possessions, riling against the materialistic world in order to find true freedom. These are just some of the choices on offer for people today, to try and find something more, to try and find meaning within their lives. But just like the false prophets and the political revolutionaries in first century Palestine, these things are not enough. So the question is, how do we bring those who are disillusioned to Jesus? through leading questionable lives. To me, this is a great evangelical challenge for the way that we live our everyday lives. What does that mean to me? It means leading a life that is different, that makes people stand up and take notice. 
You know, when you just see someone and you think, you know, there's something different about them. Well, how do we do this? Well, we don't do it by simply being nice. I've done triathlons. I've met people who have been on gap years. I've met people who have started living minimalist lifestyles. And they're all really good people. They're really nice. It's important to remember that as Christians, we don't have a monopoly on being good. When people met Jesus, I don't believe that their first thought would have been, you know, what what a nice chap he is, you know, he's a really good guy, isn't he? No, they would have stood up, they would have been in awe, they'd have gone, wow, you know, there is something different about this guy. Being nice and good is not what makes us stand out from the crowd. So in order to lead a life that is questionable, that makes people stand up and take notice, let's turn to the thing that does make us stand out from the crowd, God. We have to remember our first call as Christians is to be in relation with the Father. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Through Jesus' sacrifice, we have been made clean. We have been given the chance to sit at the king's table and enjoy deep, intimate relation with the Father. When we do this, we are set free. We know what it means to live as a child of God, and that will shine out of us in the way that we live our everyday lives. When Moses came down from the mountain in Exodus holding the tablets of the covenant, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. This is now not a privilege just for a chosen few, but an open invitation to us all. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Every time we go to the cross, we lay our burdens, our worries, and our troubles down. We are set free. We go to the cross weak and broken, but we come away fixed and strong with the light of God shining in our hearts. Um, Mike, he he mentioned last night was far and wide. um, And yeah, he explained it was basically it's been something that's set up to try and bring unity um, to churches across Sheffield. And last night it was... It, it was lit. That's the only word I can use to describe it. Something just, something just went off. People came into that room heavy and burdened. And we met, we met with God last night. And we enjoyed deep, intimate relation with the Father. You know, um, once all that stuff was gone, we were able to sit there faultless before, before our God and just enjoy that deep, intimate relation now, I'm not sure about me because I, I woke up quite early this morning, so I'm not sure if my face is radiant with, uh, with the Lord, but I can guarantee that there were others who left that place and their faces were radiant. And they will go out this week and they will do amazing things and people will stand up and take notice. So the challenge to us today, when we look to lead questionable lives, do we simply... Look, do we simply look to the comfortable, easy option of being nice, good people? Or do we look to showcase the glory of God through deep, intimate relationship with the Father? Thank you.
Thank you, Greg. That's great. Let's just take 30 seconds with the Father. Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Hey, Lydia. Let's give her a hand. Lydia, would you like to introduce yourself? How long have you been part of our church? Um, A year and a half now, I think-ish. Yeah, I started from a year and a half ago, and then finished in the summer. And uh, what are you doing now? Um, So I'm part of the Restore team. Um, I lead a project called Renew Six with Jill, um, which is a project for people struggling with their mental health and are isolated in the community. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, So before I start, I just want to show you a quick video that um, kind of inspired me for this talk. Said my first word at one. (coughs) Kicked off the stabilizers at four. United mad by seven, bored at 11. First black iron girlfriend at 14. I left school at 16, broke my arm, broke the bank. 18, I worked nights in the castle, but then I stopped pulling pints and started pushing myself. I up my game, made a leap. I learned to think on my feet and off them. I put my life in the hands of others and held their lives in mine. I left home, I wrote home. I found a new home. I did things I never dreamed I would and overcame things I never thought I could. The elements, the distance, the fears, doubts, and all seven continents. Sure, I was born in Carlisle, but I was made in the Royal Navy. Start your journey. Search made in the Royal Navy. Okay, so I'm not joining the Royal Navy. Um, but after watching this, I just thought about myself. Um, I thought Lydia Wormsley, born in Derby, made in Christ. And I thought about me, little Lydia from Derby, before I lived in the fullness of who God made me to be, before I was made in Christ, if you like. I was going through my education, living the same way as every other student at university would. Um, like on the video, I was kind of going through the motions of life. I had a great time at uni, made loads of friends, but there was always that something that was missing. There was nothing that made me peop- there was nothing that made people question the way I was living. I'd got a good degree, planned to get myself on the career ladder and move to Spain. This was what my friends and family expected from me. The moment I made the decision to follow God, my life changed and became a lot more questionable. Working part-time in a cafe to allow myself to grow Renew6, the wellbeing centre that Jill and I run, caused so many people to say, well, why are you doing that? What's made you want to do that? 
And also, do not worry. One of my favourites that I got asked in a bar, which probably wasn't the best chat-up line, was, are you not scared that you'll never earn or be able to provide for your family? And question like, questions like these really question my identity. And I'm still trying to overcome the fear and doubts that these can bring, but also allow me to give me a deeper answer, to answer the questions that people are asking, because that might be the thing that they fear themselves. And as for me and my identity, they allow, they allow me to go back to the Bible and remember I, like all of us here, am made alive in Christ. In Colossians 2, it says, God made you alive with Christ. We see that we are made alive. We're not made to sit back and do nothing. God's given us the strength to live a questionable life. I look at the Marines as an inspiration in leading a questionable life. It may not be Jesus leading the center of their decisions, but for me, they certainly live questionable lives as they go through such extremes, which I can't really begin to think of someone's reality. For example, my friend's brother is a sniper in the Marines, and he goes on missions for weeks and months at a time, and he can't tell anyone what he's doing. Um, he has a wife and child at home, and he can ring them, but he can't say anything about himself. He just goes, and um, yeah, he just goes. But and for me, that is a huge sacrifice. And it got me thinking, well, what sacrifices would I make for Jesus? It's just a thought to get us thinking how far we'd go, how much we would step out of our comfort zone to live for and be like Jesus. However, at the same time, we also don't need to do anything grand and elaborate to live a questionable life. Sometimes it's in the everyday little things that we do. It's just being ourselves with the power of God within us. And the most memorable moment of my life when I've seen this was when my mum had a really severe accident about five years ago and she was in hospital for a really long time. And for about a week of this time, um, she'd broken like loads of bones in her back and her neck. So um, all she could do was lie on a hospital bed with her face up and she had a neck brace. So she was just constantly facing the ceiling for this whole time. Um, and while she was there lying down, there was a girl in the bed next to her. And um, the doctors came with her family and they said, um, they told her that she was very likely to have a tumour in her neck. Um, this girl was only 18. Um, but then straight away after she'd just been told this information, the doctor said um, to her parents, you need to go now. So this girl was just left by herself on the bed next to my mum. And um, then my mum, in a lying down position, probably experiencing the worst moment of her life that she's ever had, said to this girl, I can't see you, but I can hear you. And I just want you to know that I care and that I'm here if you want to talk to me. So straight away, the girl from her position got out and went to my mum's side and my, my mum comforted, comforted her from that lying down position. And for me, that's Jesus. That's love and that's sacrifice. And I know that came from a place from loving Jesus. No one won a trophy. No one had success or achieved something. But in vulnerability came something so much more powerful. I certainly questioned her life, my life, 
and I'm sure the other people in the ward had been watching and creating questions in their own heads. So even though we are made alive in Christ, we have to choose to live like Christ, and we need God's help and strength to do this. The example of the Marines definitely makes me question how much we choose to live like Christ, how much we push ourselves out of our comfort zone and go that extra step. We have to live our everyday lives, but not be comfortable. We can learn a lot from the discipline of the Marines, their real and true grit and determination and their sacrifice. However, unlike the Marines, who have to strive every day, we don't have to do anything to be made alive in Christ. Christ does it for us, and we get to live questionable lives because of him. So my response is, where with God's help are we going to take that extra step in our everyday lives to live and be more like Christ? Thank you, Lydia. That was great. Wow, that's quite a lot of invitation and quite a lot of challenge there. Where are you going to take that extra step? And I want to give you this same little bit of time um, just to bring that to the Father and hear his word. So let's do that now.